When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you get the thing? Yes, I got the thing. Feed the dog? Yes, I fed the dog. Did you download the episode? Yes, I downloaded the episode. What's up with the questions? Can we just go, please? Listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Permit me here and now to promise as a good comrade and a fellow artist that I will not report any of the, this, whatever it is, to the police. Welcome to Abandoned Albums the documentary podcast. Each week, our intrepid group of researchers and archivists sift through the album crates of the world, finding those records that may have been lost over time. Our team also seeks out up-and-coming artists with work we feel you should know about. When we're lucky enough, the artists swing by Thunderlove Studio to chat with our hosts, Keith R. Higgins and Jeff Calhoun, about those albums and their careers as a whole. Sit back, relax, 
and thank you for joining us. In the unforgiving terrain of the music industry, one must be prepared to wage a relentless battle for visibility and audibility. Yet, in the saga of strife, Donnie Dukowski emerges as a seasoned combatant. The early 2000s bore witness to Donnie's heroic struggle for existence. It was a real life-and-death duel that he won. During the arduous period of convalescence, ensconced in isolation, he embarked on the audacious endeavor of assembling the band that would become Chester White. Their debut album drew comparisons to luminaries like David Bowie and T-Rex. Simultaneously, Donnie was cultivating a sterling reputation behind the scenes. The astonishing journey of singer, songwriter and producer Donnie Dukowski unfolds in a sequence of sonic metamorphoses, a testament to his indomitable spirit. Having weathered the crucible of cancer, endured tumultuous relationships, and embraced the mantle of fatherhood, Donnie emerges on the other side, his latest offering. The eponymous EP Mirrors on the Moon balances precariously on the precipice of psych rock and harmonious Americana and evokes the spectral echoes of the Beatles and Led Zeppelin with a subtle infusion of Leon Russell for good measure. Donnie recently stopped by Thunderlove Studio to have a chat with Keith. Here's their conversation. It's just the normal noises in here. I'm here now. Uh, I have a, you know, it's often said in a studio, and you can see I've got a bit of a production studio behind me, mm-hmm. that the best mic to use is often the closest one to you. Mm-hmm. So today I have a pencil mic, and <laughs> <laughs> awesome. that's fun. I'm hearing a back echo. You're cutting in and out too, but I can try to remove... I can try to not... That's probably because I fuck around and I dick around on my mic. <laughs> I'll just try to stay closer to the mic and not try to move as much. Is this better? Yes, you sound great. You look great too. I'm Oh well, I'm, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw me yesterday, I was actually wearing the same thing, just a black and white flannel and like a black and white shirt. So that would have been I got my days mixed up. I love wearing this t-shirt. It says introverted but willing to talk about otters. <laughs> it's very true. Is that true? My 
my daughter, she's nine. She loves otters. She wants a, a pet otter. I like watching them. If you've heard them, they sound awful. <laughs> I actually have heard them. I sampled um, some otter sounds. Um, a sound designer, a friend of mine, we were working on a an otter adjacent project that needed to be have like authentic otter sounds. See, I don't just make records, Keith. I also help, you know, filmmakers and brands tell stories with music <laughs> and sound design. And uh, I'm grateful for that. But sometimes you're recording otter sounds. It, it's just rare that you hear the phrase otter adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard it before. Well, that's how I'm identifying these days. <laughs> Donnie, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we got a lot to talk about. I guess so. I mean, but I, I'll, I'll let you lead the way. I'm, I'm an open book. All righty. Um, let's start first with your upbringing and your influences. Now you grew up in outside of the city, city suburbs, I'm guessing Westchester or Jersey. Uh, actually Rockland County formative years out there. Okay. Who were your musical influences? And there's a reason why I ask, and it'll, It'll be sussed out as we go through the conversation. My uncle David was my earliest musical influence, and he turned me on to the right things at an early age. Um, I grew up in a house where my parents listened to a lot of music that was um, not popular. We had a handful of albums that were just kind of laying around the house, and I could just pull uh, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack or Steve Martin's um, Wild and Crazy Guy album and, or Prince um, Purple Rain. Like These were the things that I was listening to until my uncle at, at an early age, he was like, here's Zeppelin IV. And at that point, it was just like I was into the rabbit hole and he started exposing me to different Zeppelin albums as I was ready like he wasn't that much older than i was so he was kind of um a mentoring me through led zeppelin and that was kind of the i guess the touchstone where everything else kind of you know came from mm -hmm. everyone has that person in their life right that that music dealer yeah the music dealer that's brilliant you know yeah that points you in the direction gives you just a taste to keep you coming back for more. That's brilliant. That's so true. You bring up an interesting point, and I'm sorry if I'm, this is turning into a little bit of a therapy session, but you've sparked two memories for me. Um, my sister, my 13th birthday, she handed me the wall. Uh -huh. And she said, you might not like this now, but one day you will, which I thought was really cool, especially okay. since her taste in music is extremely questionable these days. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, all right. But, I want to unpack that one. Yeah, but for whatever reason, that it really hit. And um, and I had a friend, Mark, at around the same time, like junior high, that um, he was just like wise beyond his years. He was like almost a guru to our friend group, and he was turning us on to like Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd and the Grateful Dead. Um, before we had the context to to understand that it was groundbreaking. And then you, you go, if I understand your history correctly, you go right into working, you're playing with jam bands. 
Correct. Yes. I, uh, when I was 15, I auditioned for a band that was pretty popular in the, in the area. Like they were kind of a regional touring band, probably 10 years, my senior. And, uh, they, uh, they couldn't find a bass player and that was my main instrument. And I auditioned for them because I was friends with, um, a brother of one of the bandmates and it clicked. And these guys became like my, you know, my mentors and teachers and they, they taught me everything about how to smoke cigarettes to satisfy a woman, which I'm still working on. Wait a second. Are those two separate thoughts? How to smoke a cigarette and how to satisfy a woman? Or was it how to smoke a cigarette and satisfy a woman? Smoke a cigarette in such a way that it satisfies a woman. I'll leave that to you to decide, but I've, uh, yeah, I'm still working on it. We all are. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's the truth. But that kind of kicked off other what I liked about that um the jam band. I mean, these guys had interesting songs, but what was cool is that they were um they weren't afraid to get off the grid. And I didn't really understand what that meant at the time and like the older i get the more that's the space that i want to play in is when you're playing live it's okay to you know drift from the song structure and let the moment take you into an interesting place where you and the audience together are kind of um you know walking that edge of a knife are they going to find their way back to the one are they going to find their way back to the head of the song or you know or, or are they going to hit us with the chorus or where's this jam going to take us i love when those moments happen um but at the end of the day i think you still need a good song for it to make sense that, that that's the core of everything a good song i think yeah yeah we're around the same age i would have the jam band thing in New York City was what Wetlands. It was what uh, Spin Doctors, Blues Traveler. That that's right. Era, that's right. right? Yeah. Okay. That's right. I mean, I I remember uh, going to the Wetlands. I, I mean, playing the Wetlands, but the Wetlands. I caught the tail end of the Wetlands, um, and I loved it. I used to go to the Mondo Cane all the time to see um, to see bands. It was it was awesome. I mean, like you had a you had a fake ID and you just um, it didn't matter. You get you know get mugged in Washington Square Park. Uh, all good. It was it's all, all part, part of the fun. <laughs> all part of the fun. Yeah. Buy oregano off of somebody. Uh, or, <laughs> catnip. Uh, it was like the late nineties, the early aughts, I guess. Yeah, around that time. And then you got ill. True. Yes. Yes. Uh, that. I mean, I, I don't want to pry, but did, was it really a year in the hospital? That sounds horrible. It was actually five years of like trying to, you know, find some kind of cure for the cancer that I had. Um, it was archaic because you know I was young when I was I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was around twenty years old and just trying to start my life and. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, I had chemotherapies that just didn't work right. That just brought my lung function down to like 10%. Um, they said it was like breathing through, a like a mixing straw. And 
then I was on steroids um, for over a year, which completely fucked with my like body chemistry and my just. I mean, you you can't live a normal life when you're high on steroids. And I was on prednisone, which mm-hmm. when you're on sixty milligrams a day, it feels like you're tripping on mushrooms. It's amazing. But then once you are weaned off of it and your body's not producing any serotonin for a year plus, you're just in the worst depression that you can imagine. So this was all before I had a stem cell transplant and lived in the hospital for a year. But you grasp for straws. Like my family was trying to, um, I'll keep this brief, but my parent, my, my family was trying everything so I wouldn't have to go through a stem cell transplant. And they actually connected me with a rabbi that was, he turned out to be a charlatan, um, and he performed an exorcism on me. Uh, and I didn't know what was happening because he didn't speak English. I would meet this guy every day, every morning at like 6 a.m., and we'd sneak into these like ritual baths, and he'd hold me underwater like a baptism, say a prayer, and then I'd meet him the next day. And all of this was kind of coming to a head when I was in his garden apartment, sitting there in a lawn chair, tied to it with telephone cord. And there was a guy next to me that was just sitting in another lawn chair untied. And I look over to him and I'm like, uh, hi, I'm, I'm Donnie. Uh, what are you, why are you here? Why are you working with this, like, um, you know, this healer, so to speak? And he goes, I'm trying to quit smoking cigarettes. And I, and I said, do you know why I'm here? And he says, yeah, he says you're filled with demons. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. I'm no, sorry. It's, it's funny. And with, with, in hindsight and perspective, it's hilarious. And then I kind of realized then that, you know, I have to just kind of trust the doctors and, kind of muscle through whatever life experiences being thrown at me and mm. and thankfully uh it worked so yeah. i'm yeah but i i i'm i'm open to talking about it now but at the time um like i, I was running from a fire as soon as i i left the hospital and i couldn't even you know walk i mean my blood wouldn't clot when you're when you have a stem cell transplant and i was my own donor um they kill you, your body levels, your blood levels, everything is, it's like zero. Like you can't, you're you're so low, your blood won't clot and you're, you're held together by um, like just a Christmas tree of, of intravenous medications and you have ports in your body so they can just tap into main arteries because your veins are so dry. There's no whites in your eyes and you're totally emaciated. Um, and then once they inject you with your stem cells, then it's a whole host of other problems like your body trying to regenerate 106 fevers, seizures. Um, it was a fucking nightmare. Um, So then when I was out of it, like within two months, not a hair on my body, no eyebrows, eyelashes or anything, I'm doing every open mic from New York, Philly, Boston in a circuit until I put together my next band, which kind of opened up all the opportunities that came afterwards. I want to back up just a couple of beats. You were your own donor for stem cell. Yes. I have never heard of that. I'm only familiar with the more controversial aspect of it. So I've never heard of such a thing as that. How does that work? Well, there are, um, they throughout the process of, of the chemotherapies, even before the stem cell transplant, I was taking some, a drug called Neupogen that was boosting my white blood cells. And uh, I, when I was doing the ice treatments, which is a type of chemotherapy, which, um, you know, kept me in a hospital for, for the better part of a year, um, 
they harvest your white blood cells after they kind of um, like stimulate them to the point where you can run through a dialysis and they collect them. And they collect them in like a syringe. And then it was like some unassuming day in February when they're like, okay, well, you can consider this your next birthday. And they inject you with, with the, uh, with your stem cells after your body's been like totally, you know, uh, brought down to like zero. So yeah, that was my experience with stem cells, not like, you know, from a placenta or something. Yeah. Well, I am, I'm glad you're recovered. I'm glad you recovered. That said, if you wanted to fly down to Panama and like, you know, get some placenta juice or afterbirth and just try to, you know, <laughs> I'm open to it. I hear it's great. Joe Rogan says it's great. <laughs> I'm going to take a hard pass on that one. Yeah. So you get better, you do your open mic and then you form. Now there's a couple of questions. Yeah. Is it Chester White or is it Chester White and his orchestra? Uh, it's Chester White. Uh, Chester White and his orchestra was the name of the album. And that was kind of the band that opened doors for, for me. Like it was, it was fun. It was, it was great. It was kind of, uh, you know, very like T-Rex Bowie inspired. And um, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I went out, um, you know, I, I, I didn't really want people to know like my, the, the, you know, the, the fucking heavy life experience that I just come from. So it was fun to kind of wear that mask of a different character and kind of jump on stage. Like, uh, we were clockwork orange characters and, um, it was fun. We, we got to play some really cool gigs and it opened the door for me to get into like scoring a picture. drum sound on that record is really really cool oh thank you that's uh seth mutal on drums who um i mean i adored him he was just a, a monster and uh don rodenbach um he recorded that album at eric bazillion studio from the hooters out in uh, the suburbs of pennsylvania st david's pennsylvania um this guy famously would just sit at the controls 
uh, taking bat hits, <laughs> and he would. He, he, I'll never forget one thing that he said um, that I could never shake was. Um, well, I mean, he would always say things like, "I'm just going to raise this a cunt hair." Oh God! I which, love it. Yeah, <laughs> let's just let's just you know tweak this a cunt hair, yeah. and I just it's it's funny because once I started like diving deeper into like into like recording studios for for media the old school engineers would still say that <laughs> oh really was, yeah it was like it was like a technical term but his um his claim to fame was working with not only the hooters but echo and the bunnymen mm. you know he had a thing and i'm uh yeah well anyway i'm really proud of that record and and it was uh it was very cool i'm 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 grateful that that it happened. I hear some rockabilly in there. I yeah. hear definitely the glam, and I guess what we would now call classic rock. Yes, I mean yeah. I feel like, and you know, like with one of my daughters now, I have twin daughters, they're nine. Um, we are, they love T Rex and Bowie, but if you really just like feel the if you understand that so much of this is built off the backbone of rock and roll mm -hmm. like it it leads you to things like rockabilly like mm -hmm. like um little richard and elvis and you know buddy holly and and so it's so fun to explore that and I'm a, and i loved the stray cats anyway i think I, the the what they what they did is is totally justice to to the era yeah. um i mean i truly love the history of rock and roll so rockabilly's fun i i've got some new tunes that kind of thread that line also of of rockabilly stuff so hope to turn you on to it soon i do want to ask you about one particular song from that chester white record and that's love song and i'm gonna read oh, the lyrics oh, to you. <laughs> thank you i'm gonna read the lyrics to you because it really grabbed me it's right out of the gate. She stabbed me with a kitchen knife. I was sleeping. She was up all night. She didn't even want me alive, but she loves me, and that's all right. <laughs> I think, uh, did we yeah. date the same woman? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have dated the same woman. That's all true. You got to write about what you know. And I, I literally like came out of one fire in a hospital bed and I went right into a toxic relationship with a, with a, with somebody with a, a, um, a drug and alcohol problem, which, um, and you can't argue with a six pack. So mm -mm. I tried, I try, I really, I, 
I, I don't think I'm a bad guy and I, I, I really tried to make it work, but um, yeah, those lyrics are true. <laughs> wow. And it's funny when you're in, in an environment like that, you feel, or I have felt trapped. Yeah. hundred percent. She would say shit. Like if, if you leave me, I'll kill myself. And you're like, Oh no, that's, that's, you know, that's terrible. We don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, one of the things I like most about it is um, the songs are really taut. They're not elongated. They're not drawn out. They're they're for me. They're the perfect length of what they should be. You know, it's not it's not three minutes and thirty seconds. It's two minutes and four seconds. Yeah, you're not dragging shit out that doesn't need to be dragged out. Yeah, Just, and, and I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, I, I, you know, sometimes I, I, I say this with art um, often is that you have to let you have to just let it. Um, there's you got to kick your feet up sometimes and just float downstream. Let the song take you where it wants to. If the song wants to be two minutes, let it be two minutes. You don't. If it, what are you trying to say here? Take your ego out of it. Like on the new record, um, there's a song called Whiskey and Wine, which um, it's kind of a crowd pleaser. It's it's fun. But the first iterate, the first like time I recorded it, the first demos and the first time I tracked the band, um, it was over six minutes long because there's such an epic jam at the end, mm. which for me, I'm like, oh, I love every theme and every motif. And, and I love the way we're all playing off each other. And then I'm like, nobody cares. And I sent it to the my publicist and a radio promoter. And they're like, this is way too fucking long. I mean, th this, you got to trim the fat. And I'm like, do I? And I'm like, what do I, what am I trying to say here? And I'm like, lyrically, there's not much meat on the bone because I feel like it's succinct. The lyrics kind of tell everything I want cleanly. You know, maybe there is a lot of fat to be trimmed and I was able to get it under four minutes and, and I think it's much tighter now. There's yes. way less fluff. comes darkness, then the light, a spark of energy in a wheel of time, we are souls delivered on high, so pour the whiskey and wine, I should have listened more. Yeah. 
there's that song Get Lost, which is very T-Rex garagey and yep. and that's two minutes ish. Yeah. Because that's all it needs. I think that's absolutely the best way to describe it. <clears throat> um and, and I agree I agree as well. You have to let things take you. I'm a writer as well, so you write it starts at one place. Mm-hmm. And then it it this sounds really hippy dippy and I know that I love it. I love it. It 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 takes on a life of its own and it takes you somewhere else. You might have I might have something in my head or even an outline of where I wanted to go, but once I start writing and injecting dialogue, it's all of a sudden, well, now I'm going over here to areas I didn't necessarily plan on going to. Mm-hmm. But you just embrace it and roll with it. Mm-hmm. It's it's exciting. It's liberating. It's fun in a lot of ways. I think. Yeah, hundred percent. There's uh, the that book by Stephen Pressfield, uh, "The War of Art," where he talks about channeling the muse, and you know, there's a certain um, respect that you need to have for that spirit of creativity that you're letting in to this to your sacred space. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, you have to let the best idea win. And sometimes that means checking your ego and saying, I got it wrong. And I've yep. been guilty too many times of, uh, especially when I collaborate, I always want to collaborate with people. I feel like it; those parameters bring out the best in you. But oftentimes I always come back because I'm, if I'm bringing the song to the table and I don't feel they're elevating the idea, then, and I'll try as hard as I can to make that happen. Sometimes it doesn't. And you got to just, you know, push back and say, okay, no, this is the thread that we're following across the board. Like in every discipline that I'm, that I practice, you know, for, you know, producing art and music and whatnot. Um, I'm always trying to, to find the the best idea, but then there's also the argument that nothing's ever finished or perfect and you just have to let it go. Yep. So. People have said to me, it's like, you know, and I, you may have gotten the same thing. You're a perfectionist. It's like, I'm not a perfectionist. Perfection is the goal. I'm pragmatic and intelligent enough to understand that's probably not an achievable goal, but that's what I'm striving for. But sometimes you, you can, you can try to work yourself to perfection into paralysis. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. The mountain is a majestical place where you push your limits and you maximize your potential. No, the mountain is a place where you party, man. Have fun. That's what it's all about. Yeah, like those 80s movies. Yeah, but we're not in a movie. I mean, we're going to get hurt. You're not going to get hurt. For some reason, the rules are just different on the mountain. The rules for what? Everything, dude. You've seen those 80s movies. Yeah. Well, what do I do with my hands? How do I ski? Well, you're supposed to have poles. Uh, you know what? Hold on to these guys for balance. <laughs> these are glass. Yeah. And don't break them, bitch. What is this, a double black diamond? I wish it was a triple black. Dudes, let's shred. The ski team... Basically, it's the shell or the umbrella for all the creative work that I do goes through the ski team. And when um, a producer that I had worked with during the Chester White years, he was also a record executive over at Universal and Motown, and he was always like kind of courting me one way or the other. And we just became close friends, and we still work together to this day. His name is Dan Strong. Um, he started working at a production music company that was just building themselves out called Pulse, and they were doing a lot of uh, record work for pop artists and like hip hop artists. And they wanted to make my next record, Chester White's next record. And I'm like, okay, great. They're like, they had distribution with Sony, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, this sounds great. And as soon as we got in there, it was, um, 
uh, I was making records and they were like, uh, you know what, we're going to, we're not making money with records. We want to lean more into the commercial production. Can you write on this? And I wrote on like a, a, a spot, a commercial. And, and in that moment, like, I mean, I went to a music school, yada, yada, cut my teeth, paid my dues. But, you know, when you're on the road and you're playing dive bars and maybe a theater or doing a little tour or whatever, and and you still are not able to pay your phone bill and or even pay for, you know, gas, hotels, and you do one commercial and it's as much money as you've been grinding for in two months, you're like, you know, and you're, and, and there are, there's nothing precious about it. I mean, sure. You're, you're still giving everything, every discipline, a hundred percent. Sure. Um, but all your skills are being used for this, for, for, you know, maybe a couple of days of production and then you, you let it go and you're on to the next thing. Um, it was, uh, it just felt like, it just felt good. It felt good to be appreciated for the talents that I had, being able to put those to good use and um, and to finally get like paid for it. Not to say that that was, as you can see, I've never stopped making records. Right. Yeah. So I was with that company for four plus years, writing for other artists, writing on commercials. Um, and then I was freelance and just, you know, my partner Dan his that's his um Dan Strong is like his stage name his real name is also kind of Baltic Polish Russian like mine where it's it ends in a ski so the dub room at this company started calling us the ski team and I'm like oh that's such a fun name if I ever go you know if I ever start my own shop or I go freelance I'm just gonna call it that and that's exactly what I did what is sonic branding? I was intrigued by that. It's a great question. So, I mean, every it's basically the identity of a brand. You know, you have you have visual logos that exist for everything. You can probably just imagine the American, I mean, American Express or Federal Express or, you know, pick a brand out of a hat, uh Toyota, Audi, you know, they all have you know, visual components, but you it's very valuable to have a, a, a sonic identity as well because um, sound and music triggers your visual cortex faster than anything. You know, mm -hmm. it, tr it triggers memories. It gives you what I call a ratatouille moment mm -hmm. where you're um, like um, your most vivid informative memories will come to the surface. If the, 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 the identity of a brand kind of, um, if you're the target market and it reaches you in a particular way, it, how do you tell a story succinctly with, within three to five seconds? But there's also a bigger picture holistically. Not only is it an identity for a brand like a logo that you would hear like the end of an Audi commercial or, you know, Toyota or Honda have explored that or Verizon, T-Mobile, any big brand. Um, but how does it live within the ecosystem of the brand is also important. Um, you go to a hotel, for example, and if they're you're at the hotel bar and they're just playing the equivalent of Muzak, you're going to be put off. But if they're and sure, you can easily, without much more money than getting a blanket license for Muzak, you can get a blanket license for ASCAP BMI artists, and you can play like soul music and 
just classic rock and pop music and whatever else that your audience really wants to hear. They don't want to hear some saccharine interpretation going down a rabbit hole here, but basically it's all holistically connected and it should be the identity of, of, of a branded experience. Even if it is like, let's say you're coming to see my band, um, when we put on a live show, there's a liquid light projectionists, you mm -hmm. know, everyone's kind of dressed in a particular way. Um, you don't just want to see your neighbor performing. You, you want to feel like you're a part of an experience. For sure. So if you can do that, that's great. And for me, that's part of, you know, in a, in a different sense, like you're the sonic branding of a, of a band, um, or just the branding of a band. It's, uh, but in a nutshell, it's the brand's identity um, in sound. There's a whole brand audit that goes into it. There's a competitor audit. You have to find out what works, what doesn't work. And there's a science behind it. There's a science why sound works. There's certain sounds that simulate different parts of your brain. And um, you want to telegraph that in the branding, or at least in, you know, in, in a commercial branding sense. So... I love geeking out on that. I do because, and there are certain, there are different ways you can tell stories. And if a brand misses the mark, it's obvious. All that can, all that said, the, the one thing that works is consistency over time. So you can have a shit branding for your, for, for your, for your company, but as long as it's consistent, um, it'll be effective. And people will have that Pavlovian response where they're like, oh, fuck, that's the brand. And you want the brand recall. I, I don't consciously bring that into making records for me, making records is just part of my DNA and, and, um, but it keeps me fresh in the studio. Yeah. I know I'm getting off track here, but I, I I'm passionate about it. We'll call it a mental health day treat self care, right? Isn't that what people call it whenever they need an excuse to do whatever the fuck they want? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, of course you don't. Of course you don't. One chewy sugar tea, please. All right. Uh, you can scan the code. Uh, why? Because the code takes you to the app. Got apps for everything, you know? Even though I'm already talking to the person that uh, could just take my order right here, but I got to download an app, right? How about this? I have cash. You have tea. Why don't we just streamline things? We don't take cash, though. Yeah. How about cards? Take cards? Uh, yes. Oh, great. But there is a $10 minimum. There's no minimum on the app, though. One of the other hats I wear, I have a podcast production company called MCS Media, which stands for Make Cool Shit Media. And, uh, and you know, we had a show with um, last year called Legendized. It was hosted by DJ Marley Marl. And some of the guests that we had on this podcast were Naughty by Nature and Big Daddy Kane and DJ Premier and DJ Clark Kent and it was it was awesome. It was just like a hip hop history podcast that was formatted in three acts, not like a convenient, you know, roundtable. Um, my point is, audio content is uh, it keeps me sane. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. All of this brings us to mirrors on yes. the moon. Now, yes. this is the, you are you are now the second moon band from New Jersey that I've interviewed this year. Okay, what's the other one? Uh, above the moon. Oh, we should gig together. <laughs> um, so, what made you want to get a band back together? Well, before 
this band, I I was making records in Jer- I had my studio in Jersey City at the time, and I was working with a bunch of artists that would have these writing camps, and just for like music supervision purposes, it was important for me to always make records that were available to license easily. Um, I would work with uh, I was working with Stella Santana for a minute. That's Carlos's daughter. We were we were actually not only working in Jersey City, we were writing in L.A. and um, was working with these artists called the Big Hair Girls, and um, and that was very cool too. And and uh, this artist Lane Moore, who I still we have not launched these records, and they're some of the best records that I've done. And and uh, but that led me to start a project with a writer in town that was called Blue Ox. And Blue Ox was uh, it's actually how I know Dana, the publicist. But it was um, just like a psych rock project that, um, you know, just co-wrote and produced all the material. And, and we did some good gigs and we had some moments and highlights. And uh, I brought in my bass player to that project from Chester White. He's still like one of the best musicians that I know, Freddie. And through that project, um, when we it came time to put together a live band, I, I was able to get John Hummel, who played with uh, Lady Gaga and a bunch of Zeppelin tributes. He's the closest thing to John Bonham I've ever heard. I got him to do some live gigs with us as well. So when things kind of fell apart with Blue Ox, I still had the rhythm section. I had all these songs that I wanted to put energy into. And I had a name that was haunting me because it was a cue that I had written for... um, It was a title of a cue I had written for a film called Broken Star... And I thought it was so peculiar because there, there really are mirrors on the moon that kind of calculate how far the the moon drifts from the Earth every you know every day. Um, and I just I don't know I just thought it was a cool name and it kind of put me in an interesting place. Like even but I mean, uh, what's in a name until you breathe life into it? And and I just you know it's so fun that just this summer is the first time we've started releasing records. And I use the term we, I mean, mirrors on the moon at its core is just me writing songs here in this production studio. But I know that those guys are going to elevate the performance. So I'm checking my ego, even though I can, you know, bass was my first instrument. I want Friday to to do the bass. I don't know if there's if there's a one right answer to why I needed to put this band together, but I wanted to get these songs out, and I thought it would just be weird to do it as Donnie Dykowski. <laughs> I thought it would be more fun to do something else. Uh, my co-host Jeff can't be here, but he did want me to submit a thought slash question, so I'm going to read it verbatim. Okay. Hi, Jeff. okay i hear notes of pink floyd and some notes of fish but i'm a picky fish fan i don't love their long experimental jams but appreciate their musicianship what i hear is the quote great musician side of the influence of that influence and the line you sing about drinking day-old wine created a visceral moment for me i felt like i had a flash of flavor in my mouth that harkened back to a hangover or hungover a hangover Hair of the dog moment where a bottle of red red left out overnight seemed like a good idea. (laughs) 
I don't think a listener has a moment like that if the songs aren't good. So there's not so much a question there is as a comment and acknowledgement that I felt like the song was really striking a chord. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I'm, so. I'm, I'm thrilled by that. I, uh, yes, Pink Floyd is one of my biggest influences. David Gilmour. I mean, if you could, if you could, yeah. I mean, the, the solo to Marigolds, I think right there, kind of, you can hear all the David Gilmour influence popping out. Fish isn't a band I really listen to much at all. I'm, I'm not, um, I, because frankly, although I appreciate their musicianship and I think Trey is a wonderful guitar player, their songs never hooked me. Uh, although I've tried, trust me, coming up the years that I did, I, I, I wanted to, and I, I've been to so many shows and I've tried my heart out. The Dead, on the other hand, are a band that I find deeply fascinating because of the avant-garde nature of where they started and where they're willing to go with in their improvisations. But, I mean, and their songs, I think, are are quite good. Um, so I, I'm a bit of a deadhead when it comes to that. Um but yeah, Pink Floyd is is in so many ways as far as like production and just seventies era Floyd is, is 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 like a sacred place for me. Really? Yeah. I I I have two Pink Floyd albums that I can tolerate, and they are the what is it, Animals and Wish You Were Here. I forget which. Yeah. Other. Yeah. Those are brilliant. Brilliant. Um, anything outside of that? Mm -mm. Yeah, Dark Side doesn't do it for you. Not even, not even when I was doing a lot of drugs. <laughs> I'm high as a kite right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Um, 
Have you heard the uh, the the controversy about Roger Waters redoing? Uh, I I tried to to muscle listening through a couple of tracks, but I um, th- th- it doesn't hit for me at all. It doesn't hit because uh, there was such a magic in in on those records, it, not it, not just in the songwriting and in, in how it was they were crafted in the studio. Um, you know, I've heard it. Before, like where Radiohead, they will record, you know, the the canvas is the studio for the painting, and then they will try to recreate that live in many ways. I mean, OK Computer for me was one of those albums that kind of changed my life. Like Dark Side, I would say, um, in that I didn't know exactly where they were going. It was progressive in the right ways. Progr- you know, and I, I mean, shit, I... Progressive rock has a sweet spot for me as well. Like, I'm not chasing that. I, I feel like if you listen close enough, you can probably hear influences of all those things. Um, I'll tell you what I hear. Yeah. I hear, obviously, there's that Laurel Canyon, Southern California blues vibe to it. But I hear Leon Russell. Ooh, and I like that. I was surprised to to hear the references to Pink Floyd and, and and some of these other things. I'm like, I don't, I wasn't picking up on that. I don't know. I heard more of that, in particular, well, your your sonic aesthetic to it. I thought yeah, resembled more of that for me. I take it. I will take it. I mean, whiskey and wine is is definitely um, an outlier uh, in my canon of songs if you will i'd never written or released anything that was that um alt country americana if you will but where it goes once the beat drops is someplace wildly different it goes into a jam space and it gets a little progressive in that all of a sudden there are there's there's a huge riff that just kind of works its way backwards uh, in a, a minor scale that pulls you back to the structure of the song. It's a bit progressive, and then and then the themes all kind of return. But there's also three part harmonies that are holding it together, and it's it's. I mean, I, people really like that song for whatever reason. It's a fun one live. Yeah. But also live, we play "Shine on You Diamonds," "Shine on You Crazy Diamond," yeah. and we and we play like "Court of the Crimson King" and um, plenty of Zeppelin songs that are that are played live, just because you know. And uh, like "In the Light" is something that we've been playing, and uh, "Down by the Seaside," and of course "No Quarter," but "No Quarter" not from the record. From the song remains the same, not the CD, but from the album before Jimmy Page kind of muddled what the solo was. Uh, it's my favorite Jimmy Page solo, and I love being able to play that as close as possible. Um, and same with Shine On, to be able to to do that song justice is just, it's like a bucket list for me. Um, yeah, but to go back to what Jeff was saying before about the the wine uh, in, in Waking Up, yeah, uh, there's another song that's just over two minutes, doesn't really need much more. There's a reference to Alan White. Oh, Alan Watts. Alan, Alan Watts. Watts. Not, yes. not the guy from Yes. Not um, the guy from Yes, which I, I I wish there were a reference to Alan White. Great call. But Alan Watts, 
I, I had to look him up and I'm like, I still don't know. What's about? Um, whiskey and wine for me just kind of, it resonates as almost like Alan Watts type philosophy. Um, and, you know, he has um, a theory that, uh, and I think it's so true. It's like, you think of life as a song and the point of life isn't to get to the end as quickly as possible. It's to dance your way through it. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, so in many regards, the spirit of the song is there's hints of regret. I mean, the song basically starts with a big bang and then you're, you should appreciate the fact that we are conscious in this moment, or at least this is the way I interpret the song. And with that, you know, figuratively speaking, you should drink the whiskey and wine to be present in the moment. Um, and then there's the next line, which kind of the next verse, which kind of implies regret in that you should have listened more. You should have danced again. It brings you back to the, the hook where you are, you should just be in that present moment. So for me, that speaks to the spirit of Alan Watts philosophy in, in that we're all chasing, you know, happiness and joy. And oftentimes it's just about rooting yourself in the present. And, and also the, the song waking up kind of brings you full circle to that same theme with um, the primordial sound of the universe. Ohm, which is the hook basically is repeating that. Waking up. I can hear a sign of light echo from the light in the room. Grab a cup, taste the day old wine, stories from the vine that bloom too soon. While linger on. After 
that song is also just about rooting yourself in in the present and how the moment is never gone. And I, I talk about how time is a wheel in in whiskey and wine, and then you, if that is a truth in this EP, and you come to the end with waking up, um, the moment is never gone. The moment is always here. So all of your past experiences, life in in my fantasy in this EP isn't linear. Mm. And yeah, so I sorry to get a little hippie no. on you, like we we've done. You can't control really anything that's behind us or in front of us. You just yeah. have to be present. It's all about being present. So when I got turned on to Alan Watts, it was like ten years ago, and I was I was having a a coffee with a friend of mine, and he's like, "I'm going to change your life right now, and I'm going to turn you onto a book." And it absolutely did change my life. Uh, I I had never heard a, f- a philosopher. I mean, because you can listen to his lectures on basically anywhere now. You could find them on Spotify or they're, they've been made into podcasts and stuff. And they are the trippiest things because they, they just, they're, they make sense, but he's so poetic and, and enthusiastic and in the way he's, you know, building an imagery around, um, you know, just whether it evolution or, um, humanity or civilization or just being present in the moment that uh, it's just, it's exciting. Cause you, you know, you, you have to, as a writer, you can write about what you, you can only write about what you know. I mean, honestly, I mean, you can, you can, I think stretch and you can, sure. You can write uh, science fiction, if you will, or fantasy or romance. It doesn't mean you have to be, the best lover to write a romance novel or whatnot. But I think you have to have some kind of ground. You have to, there's needs to be some truth in there for you to, as if, as in the performance of a a record, like you don't want things quantized till all the life is sucked out of it. You want there to be some wiggle room in, in certain things and breaks in the voice or, you know, things that might be slightly off because those are the, that's the good stuff. That adds the humanity to it. Yeah. And that humanity will resonate with a listener or a reader or um, I love, I mean, even in writing, I love when the writer breaks the rules and, and run on sentences and dashes and things that give you a sense of urgency and um, that play with time. And that's what we do in, in, in music is you are, you know, in music, life is a song. You know, you have your beginning, your your middle, your end, your your golden mean moment of probably where the bridge is. Right. The bridge of a song is the golden mean realized in time. I'm waxing poetic right now, and and I'm kind of getting off of topic, but right. I uh, I think you know what I'm trying to say. It's 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 fun playing with time. What are your thoughts on um, the LP as an art form? I was pleased to see that you released the EP um, mm-hmm. and, and the two songs, what one in June, one in July, you know, I believe in the constant output of product for lack of a better phrase. I think it's important yeah. other than that 18 to 24 month album cycle that seems to still exist for some reason. Yeah. There are some artists that are really, still focused on that. And I think there's room for that, but to stay fresh and relevant and cons- 
in my mind, I think you got to keep putting product out. I'm just curious to you what your thoughts are. I like to hear you say that because I don't think anybody knows. I, I, in the old days, it was all about making an album. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if Dana didn't urge me to put out an EP rather than a single, I probably would have put out three singles and given, you know, had more content for the next few months. But she's like, if anyone's really going to review these, they want to know a little more about what's behind the artist, not just a single. So I'm, you know, I, I I thought it was the right move and I don't know what it'll be next. Maybe it'll be a single, maybe it'll be three, but the songs are there. I've got a lot of songs tracked that just need to be, you know, focused and put together and, and released. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, of your, you know, going back to early rock and roll, it was all about singles B sides and, and, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe the album will just be the collection of tunes over a year put into an album, and then I can move on from yeah. that. And I think that's a perfect way to look at it. I mean, it's a and it's a great market, right? You could print a produce a vinyl album with everything that you know. Yeah, there's no right way, and that's one of the exciting things about it right now. I don't think there's really any right way, and I don't really think there's any kind of wrong way. Keith, I need to I need to have you in my life as a consultant, as a sher- <laughs> as a Sherpa, because like I don't I, I, again to use the analogies of kicking your feet and and uh, up and floating downstream. I mean, I'm in so many ways doing that with this project. I'm um, grateful that it has the momentum in streams that it does uh, on Spotify. I'm grateful that. Um, the video for whiskey and wine in in three short days has thousands of views. I'm grateful for for that. Um, so people are listening, and and you know maybe when we chat next, it'll be a, a different you know animal. But for right now, I'm just I'm I'm grateful that people like the tunes. They're great. They're great fucking tunes. Thank you. Thanks. Where are you playing live? Yeah, that's the thing is we've done a couple of festivals. Um, most recently, we were uh, we've done the uh, the Red Gables Festival three day event out in Red Bank. But I don't have a booking agent for this band, and the uh, who I have in keys, Dave Archer, he plays with Uni and the Urchins. They're kind of um, on Sean Lennon's label. It's Sean Lennon's girlfriend's band. They were in Ghost of a Sabretooth Tiger together. And now they kind of, the lines bleed between Claypool Lennon Delirium and that. So he's always playing and John's always on the road. And I don't want to compromise what that is. Um, in short, there's no, there's nothing on the table yet uh, as far as gigs. So I'm focusing on just records and videos, but trust me when I say I need to play live. I, I, and, and the last gig we played, um, we sold out, we sold out the entire spot. It was like a 200 capacity place. And and it was nice that we sold it out. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that this album or this EP opens the right doors where we can get back on track with a proper booking agent to handle schedules and we can 
get like, you know, play gigs that make sense. Okay. But that said, I will, I will, given my history, I'll play anywhere with a guitar. Um, I've taken up way too much of your time. I appreciate it. I love the new record. Thank you, Keith. I'm really glad Dana, Dana connected with me about this because I'm excited. Me too. I, your music is right in my wheelhouse. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, I'm grateful to that, um, that you just, you know, took the time to speak with me because I feel like I'm, I'm not like, I don't know. I feel like an outlier in this space now, like with, uh, I mean, sure I'm producing and writing records, but I also, it's my day job to make music and, and mm-hmm. I don't know there. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for all of it. And I'm grateful for the time you're giving me, even though I don't have a gig on the table at the moment, yeah. a live show forthcoming. And you're not alone. Chad Fisher, Matt Mahaffey are two that immediately popped to mind. They're, you know, maybe you should connect all of us and we should do a show. But, you know, that's not a bad, that's not a bad idea, Donnie. That's not a bad idea. See, we're, we're, we're on I'm, it. I'm going to chew on that one. Yeah. That's actually not a bad idea at all. Listen, Donnie, thanks again, man. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. Much love. Take care. Bye. All right. A big thank you goes out to Donnie for making the time to chat with us. Extra special thanks to Dana Gordon for putting it all together. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. This episode of Abandoned Albums was written and produced by Keith R. Higgins. The show was recorded at Thunder Love Studios, where it was engineered by Daphne Miller, with help from John Thomas. Abandoned Albums was edited by Mike Hunt. The songs you heard during this podcast were Don't Panic by Mirrors on the Moon, as well as Kill This Town and Love Song by Chester White. You also heard Whiskey and Wine, Marigolds, and Waking Up by Mirrors on the Moon. You can stream both Chester White and Mirrors on the Moon wherever you stream your favorite music. You'll find links to all of Donnie's work and those things referenced during the show in the show notes section. Please remember to support independent artists. Original music by Mike Pellegrino. Our theme song is All I Want by Pete Belasco. In the opening of the show, the songs you heard were Living in a Dream by Archangels, Think Too Hard by Sid Straw, and Stronger Than Love by James Carr. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. It really does help. Thanks for listening. Grazie. Bailey Leaf. Rob Janicki. Mike Pellegrino. Therina Vella. Ronnie Barnett. S.W. Loudon. Michael Janicki. Peyton Janicki. And our executive producer. This is Abandoned Albums receives funding from Cramerica Industries. Protect what you value.
Cremerica Industries, made in America by Americans, mostly, and headquartered in America. Cremerica.com And now, until we meet again next time, I remain, as always, obediently yours. Abandoned Albums is a production of Paw Print Media. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.